Today on the Matt Wall Show, the people who've been calling us Nazis for decades are now concerned that groomer is a vicious, unfair label. After years of labeling everyone in sight, they're finally getting a taste of their own medicine and they don't like it. The only difference is that unlike Nazi, the groomer label is actually true. We'll talk about that. Also, the pro-life group that blew the whistle about illegal abortions in D.C. held a press conference yesterday. Some of the additional details they revealed are absolutely bone-chilling, but you need to hear them. Plus, the only Joe Biden video that might actually make you feel a little bit sorry for him, if fleetingly, we'll play that. And if you thought woke Oreos were bad, wait until you see what the latest virtue signaling snack company has come up with. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. I first learned that I was a Nazi many years ago. I don't remember what the opinion was exactly, but I expressed some kind of opinion about something, and I was promptly informed that only Nazis think that way or say those sorts of things. Of course, the confusing part was that my opinion had nothing at all to do with Nazism or anything associated with Nazism. Nonetheless, I was a Nazi, and like so many others, I have relearned this lesson every day since. Um, These days, I'm called a Nazi dozens of times every hour of every day. I'm a Nazi for criticizing Joe Biden. I'm a Nazi for opposing critical race theory. I'm a Nazi for believing that men can't have babies. I'm a Nazi for not wanting preschool teachers to talk to four-year-olds about their sexuality. I'm a Nazi for saying that fat people should consider dieting. I'm a Nazi for preferring vanilla ice cream over chocolate, et cetera, and so forth, on and on forever. And I'm not just a Nazi. Again, as so many of you have learned about yourselves, I'm also every ist and phobe in the book. I'm a sexist, a transphobe, a homophobe, a fatphobe, a misogynist, an ableist, a fascist, a white supremacist, and so on. Every week I learn that I'm guilty of new moral crimes that I didn't even know existed before. Last week I was a, uh, a misogynoir, which apparently is a racist misogyny, a racist, racist misogyny against black women is misogynoir. And I'm guilty of that too, it turns out. My supervillain resume continues to grow. I am indeed the worst Nazi, white supremacist, fatphobe, ableist, anti-gay, fascist, transphobic, misogynoirist, misogynist, homophobe the world has ever seen. Along with all the other Nazi, white supremacist, fatphobe, ableist, anti-gay, fascist, transphobic, misogynoirist, misogynist, homophobes. There are a lot of us out there. Half the country, if not more. At least that's what we have been told. That's how we've been labeled. We've been labeled this way relentlessly, nonstop, in response to literally every view we hold, everything we say every argument we make, and every opinion we express. So you must forgive me if I am not very sympathetic to the leftists who are now complaining about being labeled groomers. These are the very people who have hung every smear, slur, and label under the sun around my neck and yours for decades. They've literally accused us of being secret agents of the Third Reich. And now they insist that we should be more careful with the labels that we use. Your accusations are unfair and hurtful, you damn Nazi clansmen, they say, as they wipe tears away. So you'll excuse me if I struggle to take their emotions seriously. And yet, this is the response they're going with. Over the last several days, in response especially to conservative criticism of Ketanji Jackson's lenience towards pedophiles and our push for parental rights in Florida and elsewhere, the media have declared that grooming accusations are unfair, despicable, shameful, the kinds of things that only Nazis say. The Washington Post has an article headlined, The New Red Scare, The Right Leans Into Pedophilia Accusations. And then Vice declares, Conservatives are smearing don't say gay opponents as pedophile groomers. The Week wonders, Why are Republicans so concerned about grooming? Uh, Because it's bad. 
I think probably I could just answer it that way. New York Magazine has a long piece explaining, quote, why Republicans are smearing everyone as pedophiles now. Josh Marshall at Talking Points Memo goes farther. He says that um, the groomer accusation is, quote, pre-genocide talk. So now we're genocidal. But we're the ones, again, who should be careful with the labels, right? And there's, of course, round agreement that the grooming claims are really thinly veiled homophobia. As the Daily Beast explains in their article, Republicans say groomer to put a nice face on homophobia. That article, by the way, written by Daniel Summers, says in part, I read a little bit of this to you, it says, by reaching for the language of sexual predation to be wielded against LGBTQ plus people and our supporters in decrying this law, people calling us groomers make plain that the hatred never really left. The same hideous lies that inform the taunts of my childhood bullies are near at hand for use today. Of course, what we really want is nothing like the vicious falsehood imputed to us. I don't want my own young children learning about sex, straight or gay or otherwise, before it's developmentally appropriate any more than any other parent does. What I do want is for them to be able to talk about their two dads in the same easy way their peers with heterosexual parents talk about their families and for their teachers to be able to participate in guiding those discussions if necessary. I want families like ours to show up in the books available in my classroom, in the classrooms so both my kids and the other students can see that we exist alongside them. I want kids who don't conform to other people's gender expectations to be safe and supported in their classrooms just the way they are. Once again, um, they are the ones who assume that any accusation of grooming must be a reference to LGBT people. And we never said that. Perhaps this writer has some guilt on his own conscience that makes him leap to that conclusion. I have no idea. What I do know is that all the Florida bill does and all that any of us are calling for as it relates to this topic is a prohibition of sexually inappropriate classroom instruction. That's it. We are not saying that gay people are the only ones who give this kind of inappropriate instruction. We don't care who's giving it. The who is not important. It's the what. And as for that what, the writer claims that he agrees that children shouldn't learn about sex before it's developmentally appropriate. But then in the next sentence, he says that he wants teachers to guide discussions about his children's two dads. Now, there's nothing in the bill preventing his children from talking about their home life. But why do you need the teachers to guide that discussion? And what does that mean? I don't recall any of my teachers in any grade, in any classroom, guiding discussions about our personal lives. The phrasing here is quite bizarre, and it leads inevitably to the conclusion that, in fact, he does want teachers giving sexually uh, inappropriate instruction to young children, even as he claims otherwise. But according to the left, the groomer label is not only a vicious, hurtful smear, it's also, of course, a conspiracy theory. Chris Hayes on MSNBC laid this out uh, last night. Listen to this. These Republican politicians and their allies in conservative media cannot just come out and say, there is an evil cabal of liberals running a child sex trafficking ring around the world dominated by George Soros, the Rothschilds, and the Clintons, and they also worship Satan. They realize they sound nuts. So instead, they find these not-so-clever ways to play footsie with the people that do believe that, that make up at least a quarter of the base of their party. Like accusing Judge Jackson of being sympathetic to child abusers, wink-wink. Or adopting the slogan, Save the Children, which of course sounds perfectly noble, innocent enough on its face, but as Associate Press reports, has actually become a dog whistle to QAnon supporters. Or, more recently, through vague allegations of grooming 
an age-old smear to imply that members of LGBTQ community are trying to prime children for sexual abuse. That appears to be the case in Florida and the basis behind the state's so-called don't say gay bill, which prohibits the discussion, the discussion in class of sexual orientation or gender identity in classrooms for young children. Just to clarify one thing, first of all, um, we are not saying that liberals and Democrats worship Satan. Uh, they are Satanists, yes, but they worship themselves and Satanism is the worship of the self. So, but yeah, I mean, absolutely satanic. They, they are. And so are you, Chris Hayes. That's all a dog whistle to QAnon, uh, he says. Never mind that at this point, QAnon is comprised of about four people posting memes back and forth on a message board somewhere. The irony is that Hayes demonstrates the leftist propensity for smearing and labeling their opponents, even while decrying the alleged smearing and labeling of his own side. He says that anybody who wants to save the children or who opposes inappropriate sexual discussion in kindergarten is a proponent of the QAnon conspiracy theory. And they're also Nazis, of course. Meanwhile, even some alleged conservatives have locked arms with leftists like Chris Hayes in an attempt to shield them from the groomer tag. David French, of course, um, usual suspect, posted an article titled Against the Groomer Smear. Now, I didn't read it because it's behind a paywall that I'm definitely not paying for. But we can assume that French's argument boils down to this tweet that he sent out earlier the same day. He says, redefining grooming and slinging false accusations of sympathy for pedophilia is pure malice. Blue checks doing it on this website know better, but lots of ordinary folks don't. They hear the words and apply their ordinary meaning. That's incredibly dangerous. This is malice. It's dangerous. Inappropriate. That's David French's whole career at this point, is wagging his finger and saying, inappropriate. Now, you have to love this from David French. I mean, it's, it's the perfect mix of wimpish, kowtowing, hypocritical dishonesty and pompous paternalism. Ordinary folks are too stupid to understand what is meant by groomer, he says. And he's, he's standing up for those ordinary folks who are just morons. And his sentiments are echoed by others at alleged conservative publications like the Dispatch and Bulwark. Um, you can't be surprised to see these folks taking this position. I mean, they represent a brand of conservatism that has achieved nothing of significance. I mean, it, it has presided over the left's total domination of the culture. It has watched haplessly and helplessly as left-wing radicals took over every major cultural institution to include and especially the educational institutions. It has, at best, slowed our civilizational descent into the abyss, but probably not even managed that much. And now that it sees a brand of conservatism that is actually landing some blows here, you know, winning back some of the ground that was lost ever so slowly, ever so, you know, um, inch by inch. Now that it sees this brand of conservative achieving what it could never achieve, the proponents of this ineffectual, effeminate brand of conservatism, perhaps out of envy or simply weakness or some combination, they run to the left becoming outright defenders of what they had previously spent decades pretending to oppose. They hate the groomer label, especially because it works. And these faux conservatives hate nothing so much as what actually works. And that's what we have to understand about groomer, the label. First of all, even if the label was unfair, the people complaining about its unfairness have no room to complain. Their tears mean nothing. They have smeared and lied and slandered and defamed with abandon for years on end. They're now getting a dose of their own medicine. And if that's the case, 
and they don't like it, they have only themselves to blame. But as it happens, the label is not unfair. It is simply an undeniable fact that leftist radicals in education and in media and in Hollywood and in government are now and have been for years indoctrinating and grooming kids into a certain sexual view and lifestyle. That is precisely how LGBT and trans identifications have increased exponentially in just a short period of time. That is why there's now an epidemic of kids confused about their genders. It's why the identity crisis has gotten so bad that they're putting litter boxes in public school bathrooms for kids who identify as felines. This is all the result of grooming. It's what they're doing. It's what they've done. And they hate it when we point it out, which is why we must continue to do so. Now let's get to our five headlines. Okay, we'll start uh, back with this. I want to call it a disturbing story, but disturbing doesn't even begin to cover it. Um, but it is, a, it is a story that should be covered and is not being covered by especially the mainstream outlets. Uh, so this is from the Daily Wire, the latest. U.S. lawmakers are calling on Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser and Department of Justice to investigate the abortions of five babies whose bodies were allegedly recovered by pro-life activists from an abortion clinic. In a letter exclusively obtained by the Daily Wire, Republican lawmakers remind Bowers, or rather Bowser and uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland, that the babies deserve to have their deaths investigated to ensure that no D.C. or federal laws were broken. The bodies were allegedly recovered by members of the progressive anti-abortion uprising group who said they intercepted a box with dismembered babies before it was sent to a medical waste center. And now uh, several elected Republicans are, um, are, including Marsha Blackburn, Mike Lee, Josh Hawley, and others are, re- are demanding that the Department of Justice investigate this. And also D.C. on a local level. Because if this was partial birth abortion, and we're going to play some clips here in a minute, which indicate that that at least in some cases it was, then that is a federal crime. And by the way, maybe you you see how the, the dots are connected here, because one thing you hear about partial birth abortion, which as I explained, I think yesterday, that is the, just as the name implies, that is aborting, killing a child as it is being born, when it is partially born, when the child is partially born, uh, he is killed with, you know, as long as part of his body is still inside the birth canal, then he's killed. And for so long, we were, we've been told that, uh, well, that never, that never happens. You know, no, no such thing is happening. That's uh, that this is, this is ridiculous. It's another conspiracy theory. Well, yeah, it, it doesn't officially happen if you refuse to prosecute it. If you ignore it, then it, quote, never happens. And so we are seeing this in real time. This almost certainly, at least some of these babies were the victim. They were all the victim of murder. Let's be clear about that. But almost some, of, some of them were almost certainly the victim of partial birth abortion, if not post-birth abortion, infanticide. Um, but they're refusing, the police are refusing to investigate it. And so it's not going to count in the record books. Yet another example of a partial birth abortion that did occur, almost certainly, but doesn't count. And so they can say, oh, it never happens. And given the extraordinary lengths that this pro-life group had to go through in order just to reveal that this happened, I mean, they had to 
obtain the bodies themselves, put themselves in legal jeopardy in order to do it, and then post pictures of those bodies. And even after doing all of that, still the police refuse to investigate. My question is, um, how many children have fallen victim to this crime, but we don't even hear about it because there isn't any pro-life group that was, was able to go to those lengths or willing to do it? So yesterday, the Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising Group held a press conference, and um, we're going to go through some of the clips uh, from this press conference. We'll start kind of in a sequential order here. First, here they are describing the scene when they um, obtain this box of dead bodies, and uh, just listen to this. In the presence of a Catholic deacon, Lauren cut open the box and the red plastic bag inside. We then proceeded to unpack the remains of 110 mostly first trimester aborted children. At the bottom of the box was a clear plastic bag with five more containers, one much bigger than the remaining four. Lauren reached into the largest bucket and removed the remains of a beautiful, intact, and nearly full-term baby boy whom we named Christopher X. I think I can speak for both Lauren and I when I say this was the most devastating and soul-crushing experience of our lives. Not even years of anti-abortion advocacy could have prepared us for that moment. And it's a moment that will live on for us for all of time. We continued to open the larger containers and discovered four more babies with a range of injuries, including fully intact girl we named Harriet, who had one eye open, an incision in the back of her, her neck, her brain suctioned out, and her skull crushed. Two other late-term babies named Angel and Holly were severely dismembered, and the final baby, Phoenix, was whole and still inside the amniotic sac. You know, we hear so much about people uh, suffering trauma because of mean tweets or whatever. We heard about the journalist, the female journalist, Taylor Lorenz, gets some mean, mean tweets, people criticizing the shoddy work that she does and she's traumatized for that she can barely sleep at night. Um, well, no, this is, this is what actual trauma is. I mean, this is, this is traumatic. If you can imagine, I don't even want to imagine uh, these women who are heroes, by the way, this is also what her heroism looks like, going through this box of dead children. I mean, literally a box of dead children. And one of those children had her brain sucked out of her skull because this is something that we're doing in America. Um, cutting holes in baby skulls and sucking their brains out is a thing that's happening in the United States of America right now, currently. And yeah, you may not have noticed because all the most powerful institutions in our culture don't want you to notice. And they go through considered effort to make sure that you don't find out about it. Again, this is, this is what had to have, this is what these people had to do just so that some of us hear about this. And even this is not enough, apparently, to ensure that any justice is actually done. But most people aren't hearing about it, and, and, uh, and most people in America right now and for the last few weeks have been more, more focused on and concerned about atrocities in Ukraine. And I'm sorry, I just can't take people seriously when they are crying about atrocities in Ukraine, as sad as it is that terrible things are happening in Ukraine and elsewhere in the world. It is a terrible thing, and it is quite sad. But 
And this, of course, is not the case for everybody who's concerned about Ukraine. It is possible to be concerned about both. But I have noticed that quite, quite, quite a lot of people really concerned about Ukraine and the fact that babies in this country, in a major American city, in fact, in a city uh, where the White House is, at a clinic a few miles down from the White House, babies are having their brains sucked out of their skulls. I've just noticed that a lot of the people concerned about these Ukrainian tragedies and uh, atrocities have n- just have absolutely nothing to say about this. And yes, we should be more concerned about this than we are about Ukraine. Why? Because these are our children. And by that, I mean American children in our country. And also... There is literally nothing worse in the world than butchering and dismembering and crushing the skull of an infant child. There is no atrocity. There is no war crime that could possibly be worse than that. It is the worst of the worst. It doesn't get worse than that. It can get really, really bad, but that's as bad as it gets. And it's happening right here. Now, later on in the press conference, they explain why they think that this, um, that this is evidence not just of abortion, which is a moral crime in its own right, but why they think this is evidence of illegal abortions. Let's listen. Live action captured undercover footage of abortionist Cesare Santangelo, the sole abortionist on staff for decades at Washington Sergi, admitting that he does not use feticide. Because of this admission and the advanced gestational ages of these babies and their intact condition, the likelihood that some were born alive is undeniable. Additionally, the injuries sustained by Harriet strongly imply she was the victim of a partial birth abortion. So you have, according to medical experts and according to just any, any rational person who can see the evidence with their own eyes, there is very good reason to suspect that a federal crime was committed against these children. And the police, again, we cannot emphasize enough, refuse to invest. They, they won't even take the time or go through the trouble of doing an autopsy to figure out how exactly these, these children died. They, they, looked, they looked at a box full of dead babies and just said right away, oh, yeah, nothing, nothing bad happened there. And dead children that, they, that were given to them not by an abortion clinic, but by a woman from that was was had the bodies in her townhouse. Isn't that reason enough to investigate further? Are you not wondering a little bit about that? Um, continuing along, they talk about their attempts to alert authorities and how difficult that was, and also the the, the um, striking lack of urgency on the part of the authorities, let's listen. On March 29th, Lauren and I coordinated with attorneys to alert the DC homicide unit of the location of the five larger babies and request an investigation into their deaths. Arrangements were made for the babies to be picked up that evening, but police didn't arrive until the afternoon of the 30th, just hours after Lauren was taken into custody by the FBI in connection with a rescue two years prior. Today, I stand in solidarity with Lauren and the eight other defendants who are facing harsh incarceration penalties under the FACE Act for simply protecting the victims of violent oppression at Sant'Angelo's clinic. And while these heroes are being unjustly prosecuted, 
Santangelo continues to kill babies and exploit their parents for profit as he has done for decades. This must end. We are demanding that the DC police conduct a full investigation into the deaths of these babies, including thorough autopsies. We demand that the US Department of Justice prosecute Santangelo for violations of the Born Alive Infant Protection Act and the Partial Birth Abortion Act. And we're demanding it now. Oh, uh, no urgency, right? No reason to rush. I mean, the police were told about dead bodies that this woman, Lauren Handy, had obtained, and they don't even show up the same day. They, just, they take their time, and they want to make sure that she's arrested first before they even show up to investigate. Now, this, this of course, is not actually laziness and incompetence. I mean, that might, that, I'm sure that's part of the story. That's always part of the recipe, but um, that's not the primary motivator here is that they know, because they are government officials in D.C., they know what their role is, and it is to run cover for the abortion clinic. And so this is, again, a, a cover-up happening in plain sight. They're barely even trying to hide the fact that they're covering it up. Okay, one more clip I want to play for you, and this is just because I think um, she deserves to be heard. Lauren Handy is the, the woman who um, is right now, first of all, facing federal charges. And the woman who brought this to everyone's attention, and uh, she got to, up to the microphone and talked a little bit about her experiences. Listen. Phoenix, Harriet, Christopher X, Angel, and Holly, the children who have been featured in the news so far, were so advanced in their gestational age, and the patterns of their wounds suggest violent federal crimes. We arranged for the medical examiner to pick up the children. Washington Sergi is part of a network of 21 abortion centers in the DMV area. The abortion industry, which is the overlapping interest of state and business, use fear, isolation, and violence to make off, make profit off of people who are pregnant, <clears throat> families, and in particular, low-income women facing crisis and unwanted pregnancies. Uplifting and showing the five children does not pit us against their parents. I am deeply heartbroken for these families. Their exploitation from Washington surging and then their children being used for profit by Curtis Bay shows how deeply flawed our communities are structured. Well, uh, we're not going to have time to do the whole five headlines, but I, but I wanted to make sure that we spent time on this issue. Um, and it's, I guess I don't know how else to say it other than they're sucking the brains out of babies in Washington, D.C. right now. It's a, it's a thing that's happening. And they're also covering up the crime. Now, the next headline, I think, kind of relates and it ties everything together because we've talked about cowardly conservatives, ineffectual conservatives don't do anything. And we've also talked about the atrocities of abortion. So let's bring all that together. And then we have this from The Hill. Senator Mitt Romney who hails from one of the most conservative states in the country, announced Monday that he will vote for Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson to serve as the first black woman on the Supreme Court and praised her as a person of honor. Romney, um, who, of course, voted twice to convict former President Trump on impeachment charges, uh, said, after reviewing Judge Jackson's record and testimony, I have concluded that she is a well-qualified jurist and a person of honor. While I do not expect to agree with every decision she may make on the court, 
I believe that she more than meets the standard of excellence and integrity, uh, according to his statement. Her dedication to public service and her family are obvious, and also I enjoyed our meeting, he says. Well, he enjoyed the meeting, and he liked talking to her, so why not vote for her? Is she a person of honor and integrity? Well, we know that she's not, and I don't even need the fact that she does have an obvious record of being lenient on child predators and pedophiles. That is another fact that is undeniable. Child rapists, child pornographers got oftentimes the the most lenient possible penalty under the law from Judge Jackson. That's that's we, we don't even need to go there to establish the fact that she's not a person of honor because she's pro-abortion and she's in favor of protecting the quote right to murder babies. And it is impossible to be a person of honor. I don't care what else you've done in your life. I don't care what else, what other facts there are about you. I don't care if you're a loving wife and it doesn't, doesn't matter. You cannot be an honorable person while not only supporting the murder of babies, but actually working to ensure that those, that the right to murder is protected. It's just, there are things in life that you can do. Um, where you totally forfeit all of your honor and dignity, and that's one of those. And that's also another reason why if you call yourself a pro-life conservative, you cannot possibly vote for Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Again, leaving aside even all the child porn leniency. That, that, yeah, that's a, that would also be a reason not to vote for her, but you don't, we don't even need to get there because we know that she supports murdering babies and wants to protect that right. Yeah, Mitt Romney, while calling himself a pro-lifer, is going to vote for her. Um, okay, here's some more D.C. politics on a little bit of a lighter note, although this is also um, probably one of the cringiest videos you'll see. Obama was at the White House yesterday for an event having to do with the 12th anniversary of Obamacare being rammed down the throats of the American people. And um, he, doesn't, he doesn't associate with Joe Biden very much. He's, it's, it's conspicuous how... Little he has said in defense of Biden and uh, how few times we've seen him. I guess it's actually the first time since Joe Biden was president that we've seen the two of them together, maybe aside from the inauguration. But he was there um, and mostly because it was about him. and It was about celebrating his own supposed accomplishments. But after they did their speech or whatever it was, there was a period of mingling. And, uh, and then this happened. And everyone's talking about this. Let's play the video. We see uh, Joe Biden... They're all standing around and mingling, and everyone just flocks to Obama, ignoring the President of the United States. And now he's standing there looking around on the outside of the, of the talking circle. And this video is even worse because Joe Biden, he doesn't want to be on the outside. He's actually grabbing Obama, trying to get his attention, and Obama just completely ignores him. I actually, I, I got to say, I, I, uh, if there was ever anything that could make me feel sorry for Joe Biden slightly, maybe, maybe just temporarily, it would be this. Oh, that's rough. That is rough. And I, was, I feel for Biden a little bit. I understand what's happening. I mean, this is what happens to me at events. If I do any event with, with, with Ben Shapiro, this is, like, this is like backstage live at the Ryman, the VIP meet and greet. You know, I'm Joe Biden in that scenario. Everyone's flocking. So I, I understand. And actually, it's something kind of universal. That I think we've all been, if you've been in a social situation at a party or something, Biden made a strategic mistake, and you've probably been through this before. You're at a social function, and um, this is my move anyway. When you're at the social function, 
if I, if I ever, if I get cornered into having to be at a social function, I try to avoid them as much as I can. But if I have to be at one, mainly because my wife or the Daily Wire forces me into it, um, what you want to do is you want to find your, your circle. Like you got to find a talking circle and just stick with your circle. Ingratiate yourself into a circle of people talking and just stay there. Biden made the mistake of walking away from his circle and then he couldn't get back in. He was the odd man out just wandering around. That can happen. Or you could get edged out of the circle by a new person who comes in. The worst thing that can happen, though, is that you have your circle and there's like five people, including you, in the circle. And then three of them walk away, leaving you with just one other person. And it's the one person you have the least to say to. You have nothing in common with them. And now it's like, do we have to have a one-on-one conversation or do we both awkwardly walk away from this? So I get it. I'm going to defend Biden just on that, at least. This is my one defense of Joe Biden, is that. All right, I want to play this for you. Is, is this perhaps the dumbest and cringiest woke corporate virtue signal of all time? And I know that's saying something. We had Oreos yesterday. You know, Oreos putting an ad out uh, about a, uh, an Asian kid coming, coming out as gay to his grandmother. Nothing to do with Oreos whatsoever. No attempt to even circle it back to, uh, to Oreos. Well, now another snack food has gotten in on the action. This is from the Daily Wire. It says, the makers of Cracker Jack, uh, of course, the caramel popcorn snack popular at baseball stadiums and prominently featured in the classic baseball anthem, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, is receiving a woke repackaging, including a rewriting of the song with a gender equality message. So they have rebranded themselves as not Cracker Jack, but Cracker Jill. And they wrote on their website, sometimes all it takes to believe you can do something is to see someone who looks like you do it first. It's in this spirit that Cracker Jack proudly introduces Cracker Jill, a team of new faces showing girls that they're represented even in our most iconic snacks. I understand the need for this. Okay, I, I can't, I, I can't, I'll never forget the first time I was in the snack aisle with, uh, with my daughter and she saw the Cracker Jack box and she just broke down in tears. She saw Cracker Jack and she said to me, Daddy, does this mean that, that I can't pursue my own dreams? And I said to her, yeah, it does. That's exactly what it means. But now that they've rebranded to Cracker Jill, I can go home and I can tell the news to my daughter. That you see, they rebranded to Cracker Jill so you can do anything that you want in your life. Don't all women look to snack companies for their inspiration and motivation in life? Well, this is about to get really inspiring because, uh, as mentioned, they rebranded the song to Take Me Out to, a ball, to the Ball Game to give it a little bit of a feminist bent. And uh, let's listen to that. Take me out to the ball game Take me out to the crowd Buy me some peanuts and cracker chill No one can stop you if you have the will So let's root, root, root for a girl's dream We're adding our face to the game And we'll run, throw, with never a doubt It's a That's a tough one. That's a tough one. That's even, that's even harder to get through than the Joe Biden video. Crackerjill.com. You can go. 
Now, this is, if they expect that people are going to start actually singing that at baseball games, there is less chance of that than there is that uh, Hispanic people will actually start calling themselves Latinx. There's even less chance that that's going to happen. And I, I, I don't need to say it, I know, but I, but I have to, because this is all about defending women's sports, they say, or it's about encouraging women. Well, what is that exactly? And it's, it's kind of inter- it's interesting timing that now they've decided to come out uh, about women's sports when there is only one threat against women's sports, and it's from the trans agenda. There are no other threats. But we can assume that Cracker Jill is, uh, they're not trying to make any statement about that. We can assume that. Let's get to the comment section. Who makes a Twitter mob fly off the handle with rage? to blame it's a sweet baby gang all right uh lol has matt ever given relationship advice that didn't end with just break up that is usually my advice because it's pretty simple advice but but also and that it's it's important to clarify that's only advice i give to people who are not married i mean if you're married then that's not going to be my advice but I think it boils down to this, and this is an important thing to know if you're if you're dating. You you shouldn't be having major problems. Maybe not everyone agrees with this, might be controversial. But I would say you should not be having major relationship problems in the dating phase. You just started dating. Um, many times you you're just getting to know each other. You still have all of the, you know, you're, you're, you should still be in that kind of honeymoon phase, even though you're, gonna, you're not even married yet. But uh, you're actually in sort of the infatuation stage, which is supposed to, buy, there's, a, there's a biological reason for that. It's supposed to propel you to the altar. And you're still in that phase. And in that phase, when everything is fresh and new, if you're already having serious problems with each other, then, um, then it's just, it's, it's, it's not worth it. You've got, that, those are the red flags. And the great thing is you're just dating, so you can both just walk away from it. You don't even have, you don't need to have a big conversation about it. The other person might want you to, but you don't need to. There's no obligation for that. You could send a text message and just say, we're done. You have zero responsibility to them. Zero. Um, that's my inspirational message for you. West says, we didn't put ourselves in this situation, Matt. We were put in it. I assume you mean culturally. Um, uh, I know we like to tell ourselves that, but the fact is that look, we're all we're all a part of the culture. We're all, we're all a part of this country, and so yeah, we can blame the institutions, the powerful institutions who brought us to this point, and they deserve a lot of the blame. But my question is, where were conservatives for years and years when the education institution was being invaded and taken over by? By radicals. Where were they on this? I know in the last couple of years, we're very clued into this problem and actually doing something about it. Uh, but, you know, why not 20 years ago? So, no, we might want to console ourselves by saying that this was all foisted upon us and we're victims of it. But the fact is we at least, when I say we, I mean generally, we're cooperators in our silence. Um, Chris says, you're better at commercials than Ben. His style of segueing into it is always hilarious. There's no way Ben is that bad at commercials, that I'm better than it. It's not possible. I don't believe it. Um, 
let's see, your, your moth boyfriend, whatever that means, says, kids will ask about literally anything to get out of school. It's up to the adult to regulate these questions and deflect them so that the kids focus on their lessons instead. That's a very good point. And it reminded me, because I said that, I've, I've said multiple times, when I was in school, we never talked about the teacher's private life, and that's true. But we did talk about all kinds of irrelevant things if we could bait the teacher into getting into those conversations. Anything we needed to do to make sure that no actual lesson or instruction occurred that day. And very often the teachers were, were far too willing to go along with our efforts to distract and derail everything just so that we didn't have to do any actual work. And that's also when you see these kids who are doing walkouts over the don't say gay bill or whatever it is. Um, yeah, there's a lot of that is because they've been indoctrinated and brainwashed, but also it's because they, they get to walk out rather than go to class. So that's something we have to keep in mind as well. Well, did you notice anything different about my show today? Now, I'm not talking about the obvious change to the set behind me that you were all complaining about yesterday, uh, which I understand, justifiable. I'm talking about the lack of ads in today's episode. Well, I know my YouTube and audio podcast listeners love my flawless ad reads. I know it's one of the highlights. It's just how deftly I maneuver and uh, weave it into the content. I know it's something you all look forward to. But you probably enjoyed that uh, this today anyway, the content was uninterrupted. That's what Daily Wire members have to look forward to every day. So if you love the uninterrupted content and would like to experience all the Daily Wire shows this way, go become a member right now at dailywire.com slash subscribe and use code BUILDTHEFUTURE to get 45% off of your subscription. Plus, if you become a Daily Wire member, you get a discount on all of uh, my merch at the uh, Swag Shack, including my new, yeah, I'm I'm keeping that Swag Shack thing going, my new What is a Woman t-shirt. You also get access to all of our opinion pieces and articles, and depending which membership level you choose, you get access to our entire content library, which includes our feature films, television shows, and more. And most importantly, you'll be a part of a very important mission, creating a space for everyone, especially our kids. So go to dailywire.com slash subscribe right now. Pick the membership plan that is right for you and use Build the Future to get 45% off today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So it was announced this week that Joe Biden will extend the pause on student debt payments for another several months. Now, if this sounds like a repeat of a story you've heard before, that's because it is. The pause was put into effect two years ago as a pandemic relief strategy. It was then extended and extended again and again and again uh, and then again. And I think, again, Biden has, for now, found an end run around the student loan forgiveness issue. He had pledged during the campaign to cancel at least a portion of student debt. Now, he, of course, doesn't want to actually make good on that promise because it would be wildly and justifiably unpopular with a huge portion of the American public. After all, as I've tried to explain many times, you cannot actually cancel student debt any more than you could cancel my mortgage. What you can do is transfer the burden somewhere else. In this case, the burden will be transferred from the people who purchased the product to the people who did not. The college graduate who purchased the education and ostensibly, supposedly, benefits from it will be relieved of the responsibility to pay for it, while people who did not purchase the education and will not benefit from it will be saddled with the duty to fulfill, to, to, to fulfill the obligations of a contract that they never signed. This sort of plan may be popular with the people who make out like literal bandits, But most of the rest of the country feels differently, especially when you consider that so many people made enormous financial sacrifices in order to pay off their loans, only to now discover what? That they were suckers? They were patsies? 
that could have just refused to pay and benefited from the government's magic wand abracadabra act making it all disappear? Will they get a refund? Probably not. What this all means is that the Biden administration would prefer to pretend that they never broached this subject. They never made this promise. Extending the pause indefinitely is their way out, they think. The problem is that the radicals in his party have noticed this maneuver and are not happy about it. In recent weeks, the squad and also the squad's grandmother, Elizabeth Warren, have ratcheted up the pressure for a full loan forgiveness. Yesterday, Bernie Sanders tweeted simply, cancel student debt, all of it. Now, I've explained why canceling student debt is not so much a bad idea as an impossible idea. It's a non-idea. The real idea, transferring the debt to a third party, is the bad idea. But rather than harping on that some more, I'd like to focus on the question of how we ended up in this situation to begin with. There are many guilty parties, many bad guys in the story of the student debt bubble. The universities that charge exorbitant tuition rates for an increasingly worthless education should be the first in line to absorb the blame, I think. But it's a long line. The government, public school systems are in this line, as are, frankly, the parents who often demand that their kids go to college, pressure which is born, I think, as much from their own vanity as it is from their concern for their child's future. So we can thank all these people for $1.5 trillion in student debt. But there's another group that seems to have mostly escaped the blame, escaped the public's wrath, despite their unique role in driving this totally and absurdly unnecessary crisis. We take it for granted today that our kids need to obtain a college degree because so many jobs require them. But that need is, in the vast majority of cases, artificial. Thousands of employers across, of employers across the country have chosen to arbitrarily inflate their job requirements, often demanding that applicants have degrees for positions that don't, don't actually necessitate them. And it's only getting worse. Positions that didn't require any degree 20 years ago now require a bachelor's. And positions that required just a bachelor's 20 years ago now require a master's. Soon you'll need a master's to flip hamburgers. You'll, you know, if you want to uh, become a landscaper. You'll need a PhD in ecology or something. Obviously, some jobs really do require additional formal schooling. Nobody's suggesting that a guy with a high school diploma should be hired off the street to perform brain surgery or design bridges or defend the accused in criminal court. But most jobs outside of science and medicine and law have to be learned by doing. It's not as though companies save money on training um, you know, by limiting themselves to college graduates, they still have to train the college graduates, which is no surprise because most college graduates have little to no work experience. They've never done anything. Now, it might be argued that employers look for the degree because even if it's in dance theory or comparative religion, or if it's in my field of women's studies, they'll say that it's, it at least proves that the applicant is competent and hardworking. But it proves no such thing. I mean, have you seen a college student recently? I see no reason to conclude that college grads are any smarter, any more competent, any harder working than non-college grads. Look at, look at footage from spring break. So these people are the ones that you're saying are so much more competent and harder working than everybody else. And by the way, speaking of spring break, a lot of those kids, they're using their student loans to go on spring break. And then they're going to get out of school and, and whine and say that we need to pay for those loans, which they squandered. Sorry, no. No, in fact, I would wager that the scales kind of tip the other way. A 23-year-old who's been working and supporting himself since 18 has already demonstrated at a minimum 
that he has the basic skills necessary to be a functioning adult in society. He's probably also demonstrated that he's coachable, he's trainable, because he's been trained in jobs before. But a 23-year-old who's been sitting in classrooms all that time has not demonstrated that or anything else. All the college degree proves in and of itself is that either he had the money to pay for a degree or he was willing to take on the debt. Why should that fact alone mean that his resume goes to the top of the stack? Well, we all know the truth. Employers demand high-priced degrees for entry-level positions that a moderately intelligent monkey could learn in less than a week simply out of laziness. The degree requirement is a way to call the herd of applicants, making it easier and quicker to sift through all of it. If qualified applicants are tossed aside, that's a sacrifice the employer is willing to make for the sake of streamlining the process. But if it wasn't for the arbitrary demands of these lazy HR departments, kids out of high school may not feel the need to take on crushing debt just to obtain a piece of paper that may only ever function as a calling card that prevents their resumes from being automatically thrown in the trash. The companies that unjustly discriminate against competent workers who lack that piece of paper should finally start absorbing some of the scorn and blame that we direct everywhere except them. Yes, they have every right to come up with whatever unnecessary and expensive and frivolous job requirement they want, but they deserve to be shamed for it and named for it. Much of the current crisis is, after all, their fault. And it's why they today are the ones who are canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. And hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2022. The science promoting puberty blockers for kids turns out to be funded by the pharmaceutical companies that make the puberty blockers for kids. The libs are trying to bring COVID back, and Yale calls yours truly a threat to democracy. Ahead of my speech there with Senator Cruz next week. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.